Hello! Hey! Hello! <laughs> I'm so excited to be back doing this. I know that I, we've already gone over that in the previous introduction, but you are listening to National Demystified. National Demystified is a show in which I, Alex Steed, get to talk with folks from Nashville about what makes it so Nashville-y. <laughs> really, though, um, we are uh, we're here to understand the city better by talking with folks who are in and of the city in one way or another. Um, this week we talk with Craig Haverhurst about the Station Inn. And Craig's a music journalist. Uh, he uh, blogs about music. He's the host of The String, which is a music talk show and podcast. It's really fantastic. He is the author of Air Castle of the South, WSM, and The Making of Music City. I mean, he just, he knows things. He gets things. Um, I like Craig a whole lot. I met him... When, uh, I, I don't know, a handful of months into making Nashville Demystified, uh, we ran into each other and we, as we talk about in this podcast, we had some burgers, <laughs> we chatted and I, I just really, really enjoy Craig. And I wanted to talk with someone about the Station Inn in particular. The first place that I came to uh, when I came to Nashville and I was like looking for a place to live, I stop by the station and I just had, and I've talked about the, on the show before, but I just had such an amazing time there. Uh, everything about it I was in love with and it's kind of how I decided I was going to move to Nashville. Really? I mean, it's one of the many reasons, but I going to the station and I was like, this is it. Like, how could I not want to be here? And so, after the passing of JT Gray, obviously back in March, um, the owner of the Station Inn, we, I wanted to talk about it a bit. And so I thought Craig made a lot of sense as far as someone to reach out to. And we also talk about what is coming up in his life, uh, what's coming up music venue-wise, what is just what's going on in the city with regard to the Station Inn, the status of music venues, the status of the Exit Inn. He gives us a little bit of an update there. And um and yeah, that's just, that's just what we wanted to do. Hey, just so you know, National Demystified is made possible by Knack Factory, which is a commercial content and video production company uh, that makes video. Uh, and that's a thing that you need these days. You know, if you want to get noticed on this here internet, on this here information superhighway. Uh, and we're distributed by We Own This Town, which is a collection of podcasts made for and by Nashvillians. Uh, and they were kind enough to let me... <laughs> <laughs> be a part of their family. I really appreciate it. So yeah, I think that that's about it. Just a little update from me. I'm working on uh, getting back to Nashville. <laughs> I'm driving down this week uh, to go just figure out where exactly I'm going to land. So I'll be in the city very soon. I'm going to run some interviews. I'm going to talk with um, I talk with some folks who are going to be on the show. I'm very excited to talk with them. I'm not going to give too much away right now, but I'm I'm eager to be in the same room as some of these people for the first time in quite a while. Um, folks that I, I love a good deal. Let's see, what what else do we need to talk to you about right now? What am I missing? I know I'm missing something. Oh God, I can't believe that this is what I was gonna forget. Have you heard, have you heard Tyler's new season of Cocaine and Rhinestones? Like the, the first episode that's out right now, have you heard it? It's so good. Uh, Tyler Manco was on an episode of National Demystified when we honored David Berman uh, last year and it's just I love him I think he's great uh, I think he's salty 
<laughs> it's a little crusty as far as like the uh, so you know outside opinions and takes go uh and and i think some folks are intimidated by that a little bit but i love him and he's been so sweet to us in a big way and uh um, i just love his show like his show was a show that i listened to a couple of years ago and i was like oh shit i could do this i could probably do this and uh his show is just better than my show when it comes down to quality of what's being made but it's beautiful this season is beautiful the production values up you know i can't believe cocaine and rice was the first thing that he made because it was so good but they've elevated it's long and it's glorious and it's full of history and it's great i hope you listen to it i'm sure you will i mean i can't imagine if you're listening to this show you're not listening to cocaine and rhinestones but go Go get it. Go get it. Go spend some time with Tyler and learn about learn about the history. <laughs> All right, that's enough for me. Let's uh let's talk about Nashville Demystified. Let's talk about the station and let's talk about JT Gray. Let's talk with Craig. Thank you so much for doing this. Last time I saw you, it was the only time I saw you in Nashville. We got cheeseburgers and it was a delight. <laughs> it was, it was. <laughs> and we discovered oh, we knew a lot of people in common. And how yeah. long had you been, were you out of Nashville and when did exactly did you slide back? I was out of Nashville. I was in Nashville for a year day to day. And then I'd been gone for another year and now I'm back. <laughs> So, and I'm not even technically back. I'm driving down this week um, to go scout where we land. But yeah, I'm like so spiritually ready to be back that I I was like, I'm just going to start the show so that I'm there when I'm there. I get it. You know how it is. You're there and you very clearly have a great deal of love for the place. But I, um, you know, it's like beyond for a place I only spent one thirty seventh of my life. Um, it is, it's beyond home pretty immediately. That's good to hear, especially since it is a more crowded arrival situation than it used to be. I, mm. I, I can only imagine the difference between arriving in a place at a time when the city was a sort of onboarding people at a manageable rate versus the whatever hundred people a day kind of, that may be a myth, but you know, people do arrive in a more, uh, more crowded busy city and i hope that the neighborliness and openness to the to newcomers to say what can we tell you about what this place is special and and who could i introduce you to i hope that's still alive and well i believe it is i think so and i think what has been what was so helpful to my experience is i i feel like i'm a little bit of an outlier in what my expectation is of nashville you know like i didn't i didn't come to nashville in hopes of like making it big um, I didn't. I didn't come to Nashville in hopes of like jumping into the music industry. I came because I wanted to be surrounded by thoughtful, creative people, and uh, it delivers in that department. If like that's your sole, if that's your sole interest is to be surrounded by thoughtful, creative people, it'll deliver one thousand percent. If you want any more than that, there's a strong chance you're going to be let down. <laughs> but but it's got neighborliness and in, uh, in spades for sure. <laughs> I also think it's still a great place for people that want to make a con- that want to contribute to an overall music scene and music industry in those ways that may never get recognized with your name and lights that there's still that and there's a, just the uh creative entrepreneurship that's been here in the last 10 or 15 years is just uh, remarkable whether it's craft liquor and beer 
or whether it's, you know, tea or my wife's business with, you know, Sichuan food products, you know, mm. imported directly from the source, you know, I think it's, and she's finding challenging, she needs commercial real estate. And that's definitely up against one of the real challenges of the city is anybody that's trying to move in and find a place to buy or live. Yeah. That's a challenge. But um, the environment is is one that she's really relishing and... I've loved it. I've been here. We're, we'll be 25 years this fall. Right on, man. You're there and you're a historian of the city, That's a, which is a pretty phenomenal thing. Like I, I think your your WSM book that Olivia Ladd gave me, uh, a you know, fellow, fellow podcaster slash journalist, is glorious. It's the first book I read on the city when I was in the city. Oh, that means a lot to me. Thank you so much. You know, it'd be, it would be too much for me to say that I'm a historian of Nashville, but I have done historic research in Nashville, on the city and its music city origins. There's many other um, aspects that are uh, certainly less clear to me, but it was fun to read some of the seminal histories of the city back at the, t- back at the time. And that research is now, uh, you know, 12, 13, 14 years old. <laughs> but but you, wrote the, you wrote the book on that, and that's, which, is, which is awesome. And I know you'll be more humble than I will be on your behalf, and I appreciate <laughs> it. But, um, so I wanted to talk with you because, you know, and when I asked if you were catching up, I meant less, um, I, I think I meant more uh, maybe spiritually, and spiritually is not the right word, but you know, like I feel like so many of us are depleted in one way or another after the past year that um, that simply doing stuff like going down the river itself can be like more of a, you know, of, of, of a vibrant experience than before, in large part because of how much of a mind fuck this past year has been and the the toll that it's taken and obviously not just a literal death toll but but um there's you know i'm keeping a close eye in particular on what we're talking about today in the station in and i'm keeping i keep you know thinking a lot about venues i know there's a lot that there were people who were hit during the tornado last year like the scene where music and culture occurs in town um took a lot of hits in the past little while. So I I was curious, you know, before even getting into any of that, I I wanted to hear what the station in has meant to you and means to you and, and, and meant in, in some of the research that you did, you did for your book. Yes. There are connections to the Grand Ole Opry and WSM story because Mm. as I thought about this, it kind of struck me that there's really only two we have wonderful independent venues in Nashville. I think only the Ryman Auditorium and the Station Inn can be uniquely and distinctly associated with the birth and growth of an American genre um, that is as indigenous to Nashville as jazz is to New Orleans. And that if Bluegrass was born at the Ryman in 1945 and 1946, it found its modern footing at the Station Inn. Certainly not the mm. only place. There was a web of festivals through the 70s, 80s, and to, to today. But to the degree that the greatest pickers gravitated, many of them, especially the modernists, gravitated toward Nashville as a place to live when it could have easily been West Coast Bay Area, it could have been Colorado, Boulder, where other bluegrass scenes have grown up and where some of those people came from. The fact that this cadre of extraordinary people moved to Nashville in their 20s, largely, and I'm speaking of Bela Fleck, Jerry Douglas, Sam Bush, Edgar Meyer, Tim O'Brien, and, 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 and a longer list, Mark O'Connor, um, 
these were the virtuosos. These were the explorers. These were the per- people who knew, who'd grown up on rock and roll, jazz, art, music, knew what was valuable about classical. They'd studied jazz, harmony, and they were able to take the core bluegrass sound and tradition and instrumentation and just prove to the world how versatile and wide open and expressive and growth oriented bluegrass could be. And Mm. so much of that experimentation went on on the stage of the station in where they could play live for a super appreciative audience in a small space. And in the 80s, it's safe to say that projects like the Seminole Strength in Numbers album of 1989 were born. But you also had absolute first generation classic bluegrass players from Bill Monroe himself and the Stanley bro- and Ralph Stanley anyway. Uh, Stan- the other Stanley brother died before the station in. But uh, Jimmy Martin, Osborne's, just the 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 first generation also expressed themselves on that stage. So when it showed up on the Grammy Awards just a week before J.T. Gray's death, uh, with J.T. Gray announcing nominees and representing America's independent music venues after their troubled year, it was just absolutely everything came together. It was absolutely perfect. It was 100% deserved. And I think the world knows they, it is indeed the world famous station in, as they say on some of the signage. And for me, it was the first venue I visited in Nashville on a very first trip um, hmm. and wanted to see it because I was a bluegrass fan and not a journalist, just a picker and a friend of the music and a, and a, and curious about how big and wide that world was. And I had to be there. And and the first night I was there was a mesmerizing evening with a guitar player I'd already been indulging in and listening to uh, where I was living in Washington, D.C. on one of the big bluegrass stations, WAMU. And so through them, I probably heard about the station in and reading magazines and I just had to go there. And it's been the place I've spent more nights listening to music since since then, uh, since I moved here. It's so funny. I mean, until you just reframe that question, I had not even thought about the fact that the relationship between the Aubrey and the station in is not official. You know what I mean? Because like, I just yeah. see it as like, it's like a culture, it's like bookends of a cultural phenomenon. And, mm-hmm. and they're just like logical, they're the logical bookends, right? It's like if, if uh, bluegrass was born on the Opry stage in, you know, new grass wasn't necessarily born at the station in, but was found a home <laughs> mm-hmm. and then was able to thrive and was able to have a place uh, uh, to, you know, to have a community and have a, have a place to center it. I just, in my head, it's like, though, those two things are obviously related, but they're not necessarily obviously related. The, the vibe of the backstage of the Grand Ole Opry and the vibe of the station in back and front is, is quite similar. And there's a reason, for example, that the time jumpers, Western Swing Band, a sort of super group of Nashville, you know, studio and Opry pickers, country pickers, um, some of the best there are, their origins were backstage at the Grand Ole Opry, at playing between sets and just playing a repertoire of classic country music that they loved. And when they wanted to say, let's take this to a stage, they went to J.T. Gray and the station in had been dark on Monday nights prior to that. And JT said, well, let's add and go seven nights a week with this new band because we trust that they're going to be a draw and they, they, they sold the place out. 
Can I, can I ask then, you know, I have a similar love, uh, even though it's much, much, much shorter live before I even moved to town when I was, when I drove down to look for places to live, the station, was the first place I went to first night. And I was like, well, this is it. Like this is decision has been made for me by way of walking into this building. And I think also that changed my approach to the city as well. I think maybe had I had I gone and I was just like, I'm just looking for a city to be in that's like optimal for all of the professional reasons that I have, et cetera, et cetera. And I didn't have that as like a, a first cultural experience. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. I think, it, I think it, it shaped the flavor or taste or expectation of the city and what was possible by going to that place for the first time. So I'm, so I'm curious, like from your first time there, like what struck you where you were like, Oh, okay. Like this is, <laughs> this is, this is the right place to be. It's a great question. Um, I think one was the astonishment at seeing who was on stage and getting that. I was like, what? If I could have ordered <laughs> up a particular musician at that moment in my life, I was very big into studying flat pick guitar mm. and bluegrass guitar. And, um, David Greer was the artist and David Greer's the, I think the heir apparent to the Clarence White approach to that instrument and is an instrumentalist that I still follow very closely to this day. But so the one, this kismet of, oh my God, the guy I most want to hear live is right here. So then you get the, you know, just comfortable, cozy interior. It felt like um, it, it, had, it had a homey living room kind of quality. The, uh, the mismatched chairs and tables looked like a, you know, a kitchen in a Midwestern household <laughs> where, and, and it reminded me or reminds me of, in retrospect anyway, of just the way bluegrass gets passed around from citizen to citizen, fan to fan, playing around a circle, playing in a, around a kitchen table and the, the neon beer signs and the old bluegrass posters, the festival posters, um, illustrations of the greats. It was sort of the perfect mental picture of a cozy honky tonk. And it was, you know, and just super inviting. And, and from the beginning, there was just a lot of warmth. They always welcome people. I don't remember if I spoke with anybody that first night about it, or I don't recall, but I certainly do recall then after moving in 96 and those subsequent first few years going pretty regularly to the Sunday night jams um, as a way to meet people I knew I'd have some something in common with as a person who moved to town with about two acquaintances and neither of them my age. So I was hmm. kind of starting from scratch and I did indeed meet friends there in the first couple of years at the jam and just going to the bar uh, that are with me to this day. How does a place like that maintain that? Like, I can imagine, I mean, if that place has been like that for as long as it's been like that, I can imagine any number of opportunities came up to not be like that. <laughs> and to go like, let's remodel or like, let's like, what, what, let's, let's get chairs that are all the same kind. Like, what, like there are so many different things that uh, could be tempting. And you, you know, if you got a consultant in there, they would have t- been really tempting and said to do this, this, and this, like, wh- what was the, why did it stay in, uh, you know, in the way that I probably fell in love with the same exact place you fell in love with 23 years later? Yes. And it would have looked and felt so similar. That's true. Um, I think a single owner operator during the entire stretch, JT Gray, is very key to that. Now that he is gone, 
the people that are carrying on his legacy are deeply indebted to him, deeply friendly, you know, where they were, they were part of his world. It's, it, there will be continuity there uh, to the degree that it's possible. And he also then, JT in his later years, had to work out a lease situation that gave them the freedom to, to maintain the club. It wasn't as successful in the 80s and 90s as it is now. I mean, now they can routinely sell out, and, and it's got, because of the tourist influx and the long-time reputation, you know, as a business venture, it appears to be quite successful on its own terms. Compared to the real estate value of that it sits on, yeah. maybe not. But in terms of everybody around it seems to be like, this is the status quo is exactly where we want to be. But I think the other key answer to that question is that JT was a musician himself, and thought like a musician, and and the musicians were his touchstones for what's the right way to go with anything. Uh, what would the musicians want? Where if the musicians protest or the musicians want change, it's worth listening to. And the, they did some remodeling, but it had to do with the backstage, the uh, green room, and the bathrooms, and storage. So it didn't affect the hall. You know, it didn't affect the room. And I think it's the same ethos that we really have pursued with Music City Roots, which is if we were the musicians, if we were the band, whether it's the Sideman drummer rolling in or this successful singer-songwriter, what makes them comfortable and makes them feel like they've got the stage that they want to be on and um, can give the, do their best work? I think JT used that North Star. Did you have a relationship with JT? Did you know JT? Did you see him, see him around? Like, What was your relationship with, with him? Yeah, um, not close friends, but uh, definitely friendly. Uh, he, I consulted him as a reporter numerous times. Uh, would just shoot the breeze with him across the bar sometimes. And he struck me as, um, in the piece I wrote after his passing, you know, sort of a level-tempered, level-headed country guy with some very deep business acumen and, 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 and awareness um, and a, a true passion for the music, but he wasn't effusive mm -hmm. personally, outwardly. But, you know... He was just beloved, and I was felt lucky to be talking to him because he had a lot of people that wanted his attention because he did all the booking himself mm -hmm. um, for 40 years. So he made the decisions about the guarantee or you know the booking agents, and he would hear from artists themselves, and then he'd have to say, "Well, does your booking agent know?" And have to call the book, you know, just so he fielded uh, you know so countless calls to keep the calendar full and. Um, I just really, really liked him a lot, and, and I know that the people that worked, some good friends of mine worked on the documentary about the station mm -hmm. in, which version one was completed in the, in the mid-2000s, and then there was a revised cut that was screened during COVID as a kind of pay-per-view event to raise funds, and there was some updated footage and updated history, and they spent a ton of time with him and just loved him, just, you know, a father figure kind of, kind of guy. Yeah. So do you know, I mean, I assume it's to some degree speculation at this point, but what happens? Does the station in stick around? Do you know? Do you have the, <laughs> do you have the inside scoop? Or we, do we get to keep hanging out? Um, I have great, great confidence that it will for several reasons. JT left no family, but his, he has siblings and he has two fellows who are running the, the, the booking and the media, the station in TV platform prior to COVID and then during COVID, during which the station and TV platform and their 
um, working with the city and their uh, efforts to keep the room safe for limited number of patrons and the artists on stage were to my eyes respected and they are like we want to do it as like JT did it and we want to be here 40 years from now just as we were 40 years ago like that's their motto their motto and the other thing that gives me confidence is that the development community around the gulch um appears to have been since the icon went in 2003 I don't remember but you know since that began to really transform I've been getting a strong sense that no developer wants to be the one that goes down in history as having crushed the station in because the reason people want to go down there and live there and pay top dollar for the condominiums is amenities like it. And it's as it's not quite as old as Exit Inn, but it's um, it's 40 years old in that location. Everybody recognizes it's the, the preservation is vital. Yeah. Yeah. And so I know we said that we, I told you we weren't going to drill down super hard in the exit in, but do you just have, do you have a sense of, of what's, what's going on there and what, what people should expect with, uh, with that? I mean, I know we talked like going into all this, I know that we were like venues are going to hurt, <laughs> but like a year in just like looking around at what that actually looks like, it's, it's, it's painful. So do you, do you, do you have any sense about where, where that's at? I will say that overall, it's better than many predicted. The yes. overall venue situation. There hasn't been the mass extinction event. And with the Save Our Stages money now, people have applied for it. And there were some serious hangups there. But by and large, I've, I've asked artists, how many rooms that you rely on and that you play on your circuit or do you know of are gone for good? And I've heard anecdotally about six or seven from a ver- variety of people. Not that there aren't closures, but the exit in is a really peculiar and unique situation where the business that was in a leased space was stressed out by COVID and drove Chris Cobb, the proprietor, to develop the um, Nashville Independent Venue Association to share resources, share strategies, and bring a kind of unified voice to bear to the city and the state and the federal government. And there were some successful efforts to keep the money flowing in. The fact that this developer has purchased the land on which the exit in sits and is simultaneously saying, we're a boutique hotel company, but we won't tear down or stop the exit in. We don't want to you know, end the exit in. You're relying on their word. And Chris and a consortium of people are trying to buy the property and give that buyer a little bit of a profit and say, go away and we're going to run it mm-hmm. um, with the with the exit in at the, at the core and a kind of historic mission for the, for the rock block Elliston Place property that is so core to the story of Nashville's independent music and songwriter scene. And I just haven't seen an update in a couple of weeks. So it is a fluid, dynamic situation. And folks are going to just have to set a Google News alert sure. because we don't know how it's going to all fall out. So stepping aside from all all of that for a second, like what are you excited about? Like what is what what does twenty twenty one have in store? I mean, God, it's May already. I don't even know how. But like, what what does the rest of twenty twenty one have in store that you're eager and excited about with regard to what's going on in Nashville? Great question. I'm wondering if I've ever tried to frame it. And there's two channels because one channel is. I'm involved in Music City Roots, as you know, and the show has been on hiatus since early 2018. Uh, once we lost our 
relationship with the factory in Franklin. We became not financially viable anymore, and we were looking for uh, a home to run the show on Wednesday nights. Now we have investors that have backed a brand new music venue in Madison, and the ground has been broken and construction is going on, and now we at last have you know, a sort of point of no return. And we're, you know, all of our hopes and hopes and hopes, and we just didn't want to have see those dashed. Uh, we now are confident that we're going forward and that we'll be live early next year. February is our goal. And it's going to be a super classy, rustic barn venue with reclaimed timber and a state-of-the-art sound system and every attention paid to the quality of the music and the experience of the artists and the patrons, and it's going to be extraordinary. Um, and also, I think, but in general, I'm excited about Madison because Dee's Country Lounge has created a wonderful oh, vibe yeah. community. It's, it's just a superb. I always get the American Foreign Legion veteran AFW uh, hall. Uh, I always get the, um, I think it's a VFW hall down on Gallatin Pike, mm -hmm. which has created a honky-tonk scene and a, and a bluegrass scene and become a real hub for fans of classic country music. That I, It's not in Madison, but I sort of feel, because it's Gallatin Pike is all one system, I sort of feel the, yeah. uh, that is contributing. And then there's, I haven't checked up on it recently, but the former people involved with Family Wash and the cannery are launching a bowling alley music venue food venue in madison as well in a former kmart building right off gallatin pike as well and i think there's more plans in store for madison and i think madison's going to be the new 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 east nashville if you will madison's very and exciting right now i think it's a place with it's got a great past and a great story uh with the railroad train the old train station and then country music stars lived there in droves in the 50s 60s and 70s it was to, it was john hartford's home till he passed away his great house on the river um earl scruggs lived there bill monroe lived there mabel carter so there's a real good story to tell about its country music past and then in general man i mean Yes, live music, what little I've seen, already feels just like um, better than the vaccine. It's just <laughs> an enormous uh, uplift. Um, and yeah, I think a first show back at the Rhyme and a first show uh, with a full house back at the station in some songwriter nights, maybe at the places. You know, I think I made to make more effort to get to places that I haven't gone or didn't, almost never go to, like the listening room or... Mm try to take advantage. I love hanging out at the Tennessee Brew Works where they've got a stage and there'll be bluegrass there on Wednesday nights. There's going to be more outdoor uh, bluegrass at the at uh, various artists brewing on Elm Hill Pike, um, which is a place that is interesting to me because it feels like the proto-Nashville, pre-It City <laughs> Nashville, just like Dee's does. Mm -hmm. um, nothing wrong with the wonderful restaurant scene and some fancy places to live and some slick new jobs. I'm, I'm fine with that. I think... And, and, and developments like the National Museum of African American Music downtown, which opened in the winter and I think is really ginning up and was going to just see a lot of visitation this summer and fall. And um, the, it's just energy returning. And this is a city that is energetic. It's a city where creative people, as you mentioned, they don't just live here. They meet and greet at these cultural events. Mm. They, you, you visit before and after a Ryman show in the lobby and you, you just... The social lubrication of, and my, for me as a journalist, like, what's up? Who are you listening to? Where? What's exciting you? Um, or somebody's like, let me introduce you to this person that's right here with me and my friend. And it's just, that's, that's what places play, this place has been about. 
Um, I will say that the pandemic didn't crush my soul from the point of view of not being out and about. I'm an introverted person. <laughs> I love my home. I love my studio. I love my desk, my records and my my desk and my books. And, and so, but yes, missing live music, like a like crazy person. Yeah. And I think, I mean, to your point, I mean, I, that's like the one thing I try to say to people, like when I know that they're going to Nashville is like, I think if you, sometimes I think if you try too hard, you're going to miss what's actually going on. Like, I think that, you know, by, by just being present, that's when sort of all the opportunity and all the interesting stuff happens. And it's like, when you're like, I have to do this and I have to talk to this person and I have to get this thing done. Like you, you know, when you have those blinders on, you miss all of the magic that's happening around you at any given time. Hmm. You know what else I want to see? I want to see Chris Scruggs at the local. Oh, hell yeah. With Billy Contreras and his unbelievable old-time country string band. That's what I've been telling people for the last 3 years is the the ticket if you come to Nashville. What do you have to see? What do you have much you must see? If you can't get into the the Time Jumpers at Third and Lindsay on Mondays, you're there's always room on Sundays at Chris Grubbs yeah. at the local. Yeah, amen. Magic man. Stuff. He's been going at it for decades. Decades. Yeah. Oh, it's wild. Yeah. Well, Very man, special. this has been lovely. Thank you so much. It's great to talk about Nashville, and it's great to see you and, and hear your voice and, and to get caught up, and we'll, we'll welcome you with open arms, sir. Yeah, I'm stoked to get some burgers again soon, man. <laughs> <laughs> Just let me know. Yeah, will do. Thanks so much, Craig. Take care. All right. So long, Alex. All right, that is it. Thank you so much for listening to Nashville Demystified. That's like, it was great. I'm so glad that we could talk with Craig about all that. He's just a just a lovely, lovely, good guy. I want to thank Cameron Davidson for making this episode, for making it sound good, for putting it all together. Um, he, Cameron's great. I can't believe we're back at it. This is <laughs> the first handful of episodes are going to be me just going like, I can't, I can't believe that we're doing this again. Jeez. Jeez Louise. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. Follow us on Instagram. Follow us on Twitter. I'm going to get back into it a little more fired up about keeping those things updated. Uh, you can find my other show, Why Are Dads, uh, wherever you listen to podcasts. So you can listen to that as well. Check out the shows on We Own This Town, of course. And, uh, and yeah, that's it. That's it for now. We'll be back soon. I'm going to be in the city in a couple days. I'm so fucking excited about that. All right. Love you guys. Thank you.